If you care about plants, and if you care about native plants as much as I do, you care about their habitats, the plant communities that they came from. And today's guest, Phil Sheridan, is going to tell us about the MetaView Biological Research Station. Hello and welcome to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article for the New York Times on pitcher plants and growing pitcher plants at home in containers in sort of uh, contained bogs, high acidity uh, with peat moss and a little bit of perlite, maybe some sand. And you can actually grow those plants in containers year round. But where do those plants come from, the pitcher plants? Well, we know they come from the Pinelands in New Jersey. And in North Carolina, there's also habitat and communities. And, and in Virginia, and in Virginia, amazingly, there, there were places that had pitcher plants, and now they're pretty much gone. There's only one of the original sites known that were, were pitcher plant habitat. And uh, I when I talk to Phil Sheridan, you're going to hear that interview in a few minutes, there are places that they've located. The uh, Meadowview Biological Research Station uh, has located places in Virginia where there are as few as four plants. And these are places where the pitcher plants used to thrive. But because of herbicide spraying and fire suppression, the the plant communities are practically gone. Not only the pitcher plants, but the associated plants, and in some cases, the animals too. So Phil and his friends and the members of the Biological Research Station in Woodford, Virginia, are banding together to, to help save some of these habitats, but more to restore them and to restore some large parcels of land that will become protected sites for pitcher plants and pitcher plant habitats and animals like woodpeckers and uh, the trees that are related. So we're going to talk about that and an especially good part for gardeners, you can buy the plants too. So we'll talk about buying pitcher plants from the Meadowview Biological Research Station. I'm speaking with Phil Sheridan, the director and president of the Meadowview Biological Research Station in Woodford, Virginia. Hello, Phil. Good morning. Hi. Uh, now, Tell me all about Meadowview. Well, first of all, when did when was Meadowview started? Meadowview was started in 1995 by a group of uh, conservation biologists. And what's your mission? Our, our mission is to preserve and restore the pitcher plant bogs and associated ecosystems in Maryland and Virginia. Well, then telling me about Meadowview, I guess you're going to tell me how you go about doing that. But tell me the whole story. Well, uh, Ken, it's, uh, it, it really started, uh, a lot of, really starts as a hobbyist uh, from childhood. Um, there's a whole trajectory of how people get interested in these plants. Uh, of course, they're carnivorous, and that uh, gets kids attracted in an early age, did me. And I grew up in northern Virginia, where um, I read about the pitcher plant bogs that used to be there. Every one of them was wiped out when Ooh. I grew up. There were none left. All of them had been wiped out. And no one had, had done anything to uh, protect them. So um, I got into high school and uh, got my learner's permit and started going out and looking for these plants in the wild in Virginia. And they were extremely rare. And uh, we didn't find any. and didn't find any at that point. And uh, then as I got into my 20s and got more skilled at this, uh, we got some good tips from Alton Harville at Longwood College. And me and my friend Bill Scholl uh, started a several-year odyssey of field work in southern Virginia and Maryland and succeeded in relocating uh, some native pitcher plant colonies and discovering a number of new ones. 
And then that led uh, ultimately in 1995 to, so we, so we found these plants, we went through what we call the discovery phase, but then what do you do? Um, and that led to the formation of, of the organization to prevent their extinction. And uh, we came up with a five-step process that, that includes discovery, propagation, research, reintroduction, and education. Um, and there was a real need for this, and it, it's been only too, too clear how, how great the need was. Uh, since we uh, started that work, we've lost, for example, the yellow pitcher plant sites that we found in southern Virginia. There were six sites. Uh, five of those are now extinct. We're down to one native population in Virginia. And, but fortunately, because of our work and starting this organization, we got uh, divisions either from rhizomes or seeds from those plants, uh, brought them back to our research station, did a lot of research on them, published it in uh, peer-reviewed journals, and ultimately put those plants back out in the wild in our preserve, our Joseph Pines Preserve, in Sussex County, Virginia. And that was part of our long-term goal setting. One of the things that's very interesting about developing a grassroots nonprofit is you know, really getting your objectives and goals and setting those up, short-term and long-term goals. And our long-term goal was to have a whole series of preserves in Maryland and Virginia to protect the resource. And we're well on our way with that. And if, if we hadn't done what we did, um, we, would, we would have lost about 90% of our native pitcher plant uh, germplasm. Well, that one place that you that still exists is that is that protected now? No, no, no. and that's probably going to be lost too. The um, it's on a power line right away. And unfortunately, of course, it's been sprayed with, with herbicide several times, and uh, it takes about ten years for it to recover. Then they spray it again, uh. and it's it's in the the database not to be sprayed, but it still gets damaged. So. Um, this is part of my doctoral work. Uh, all of these factors, uh, herbicide spraying, climate change is now entering the picture with droughts, um, lowered groundwater tables. There's a whole host of things that are happening that are, that are leading to extinction in our region. Uh, we, so we've got one yellow pitcher plant site left, 12 purple pitcher plant sites, and the average population size of those is eight. So, and, and part of my uh, PhD work, and we can actually predicting extinction dates, which are right on the money, uh, both locally and regionally. Um, and it's not a happy story, but uh, what we are doing to prevent that is to get our preserves going, uh, managing them, them intently, and getting divisions from those remaining sites. And it's not just the pitcher plants, it's the other associates, too. And getting those back in a functioning well-maintained ecosystem so we prevent extinction you said that the of the purple pitcher plants you said there were eight eight plants <laughs> uh on average the remaining sites have eight uh plants per site incredible how, i know yeah. how did you find those places well well they didn't have eight when we found them in many cases but uh this is uh it, it's a skill ken you're using um you're looking at uh, landscape uh, the geography of the site, the soils, uh, associate plants are a big one. Uh, and you, you go out and you take all this information and you, you identify the, the best-looking sites and go in and do an inventory. And out of that, uh, maybe one out of 100 is going to have a pitcher plant block. Mm. Yes, it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, okay. and, and, Ken, the, the, this extinction vortex is ongoing. One of the uh, incredible things... Uh, that we've we've run into is we, there are still uh, habit there's still habitat out there, but the pitcher plants and many of the associate plants are gone, uh, and that's largely due to succession. We actually have examples where 
uh, we saw the plants there 20 years ago, and they're not there now. So they've been eliminated through competition. So are you talking about fire suppression, for example? Yeah, basically. Basically fire suppression and uh, maybe a lot of other very subtle complex factors as well. Can, can you uh, tell me a little bit about, well, for example, why is fire important? Well, the, the main thing with fire is it controls hardwood competition. Um, and this is hard maybe for a lot of people to, to, to understand, but um, what fire does, hardwoods do a number of things that are not good for pitcher plants. Uh, first and foremost is they shade uh, the wetland where they live. And, and pitcher plants are early successional plants that require a lot of sunlight. So it's easy to understand if you shade a plant out, it's going to have trouble. So that, that's the first thing they do. Uh, and then the, the, the leaves that they drop are broad-leaved uh, leaves that end up smothering the plants. And one thing we found, they also bring infection in mm. to, to the wetland habitat that, that attacks the pitcher plants. And one of the other big problems with hardwoods is the amount of water they pull out. Uh, this is something that we're doing a lot of research on right now uh, as we reverse the successional process. But where you have shallow groundwater-fed aquifers where pitcher plant bogs occur, if you get enough hardwoods in there and they become dominant enough and big enough, they'll literally dry the bog out. And this is something that's kind of been missed in, uh, in one of the fire uh, benefits long term is by keeping these hardwoods out, you're, you're not only preventing shading and disease from getting in, you're, you're keeping your water in the bog. So in the places that you've set up that are pre mm -hmm. preserves, are mm -hmm. you using fire? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every year. Very intense fire management at Joseph Pines. That's down in uh, Sussex County, Southern Virginia. And how l large is that preserve? That's 100 acres, and uh, we're about to more than double the size of that. We got a grant from uh, the, the Department of Environmental Quality, uh, and we're getting a loan from the state, and that's going to allow us to buy two adjoining parcels, uh, totaling 100, 134 acres. So we'll, we'll more than double to 234 acres. And, and on that point, Ken, let me, let me point out, we have the opportunity down there to buy two other parcels, actually three other parcels, 500, 800, and another 200, bringing us almost to 2,000 acres. Wow. And if we, it's going to take a few million dollars. And um, if we can do that, if we can get the funding to do that, we're going to have the best example of a longleaf pine pitcher plant ecosystem in Virginia and to a certain extent even in North Carolina. Uh, so you'd have to go down to, to maybe South Carolina to see what we will have, the quality of what we're going to have. So um, part of talking to you today, you never know, uh, there may be some donor out there that says, this sounds great, I'd like to help, uh, give us a call, come visit, and we can show you and give you a prospectus. But uh, that's our long-term goal. If we can build that up to, uh, to that size, and that brings us then next to a state preserve, brings us up to over 2,000 acres. Then we become a player in red-cockaded woodpecker restoration in Virginia. Well, I want to talk to you about the, the plants and the animals and the associated mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. plants, and also in propagation when after the break. But uh, mm -hmm. in this area that you're developing that will be 2,000 acres ultimately, uh, mm -hmm. do you, are you pretty sure that there were pitcher plants there? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, in fact, within uh, one of the sites that I was mentioning, that state land that's, that's nearby, which is within two miles, 
it's one of the sites we found back in the 1990s, and then the state ended up buying. When we found it, that site had two purple pitcher plants. And now, they've uh, through vegetative division, there's about four. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, that's some stellar success there. But um, in the properties that uh, we're surrounded by historical uh, occurrences of pitcher plants, and while on our 100-acre preserves we don't preserve, we don't have any pitcher plants right now, we do have, that have made it through the whole successional process, several plants that are, are what we call associate plants that are indicative that there were pitcher plants there. And, uh, and this is one of the things, again, doing the doctoral work, um, I looked at the vegetation of our historic pitcher plant bogs. We have less than um, 50% of the plants left in our best bogs now in Virginia than we did historically of associate plants. So we've actually lost diversity mm. in, our, in, our, in our native bogs. So um, just a, as an example, for example, longleaf pine, the keystone species uh, in southern Virginia, and it's, it allows fire into this ecosystem, is only left on a few hundred acres naturally in southern Virginia. And originally there were 1.5 million acres estimate of longleaf pine in Virginia. And on our preserve, we have an old turpentine stump suggesting that uh, we had longleaf pine there. And that right. was the dominant tree. And there's, there's only stumps left. <laughs> so it's kind of uh, unfair to say, well, gee, there's no pitcher plants there now when we don't even have the original forest. Right. I'm yeah, speaking so. with Phil Sheridan, the director of and president of Meadowview Biological Research Station. And we'll be right back. Thank you for staying with us. My name is Ken Drews. You're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And my guest today is Dr. Philip M. Sheridan, the director and president of the Meadowview Biological Research Station in Woodford, Virginia. And we've been talking about pitcher plants, pitcher plant habitat, the loss of pitcher plant habitat, plant communities, and you were talking about the longleaf pine. What are some of the other associated plants and even animals? The, well, the, uh, the, the one of the characteristic uh, animals found in uh, in a longleaf pine pitcher plant ecosystem is the federally endangered red cockaded woodpecker. Uh, and again, we're looking. You have to look at this at an ecosystem level. And so many uh, many animal species benefit or are adapted to the open sunny conditions found in longleaf pine forests, fire maintained longleaf pine forests. Um, and without fire, for example, uh, you'll eventually lose red cockaded woodpeckers. Mm. Uh, they need that uh, an open mid-story uh, to build their nests. Otherwise, snakes and predators can get in and eat their young. Um, the, uh, there are uh, a number of other organisms as well that, that benefit from, from fire. Well, I know uh, that people can come and make uh, they make appointments to visit Meadowview, uh, and also Meadowview is very big into conservation and propagation. And uh, I, some people think, well, that you know they have a reaction to you're, you're selling those plants. You must be digging them and taking them from the wild. Well, obviously, if you only found two or four of the pitcher <laughs> right. plants, you're not doing that. But tell me a little bit about the propagation program and what you hope to do by spreading the word, but actually spreading the plants. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, one of the interesting things here can be, um, you know, we're a, a grassroots nonprofit. How are we supported? Uh, how do you develop a nonprofit and sustain it? Well, the people that grow the plants, grow the pitcher plants and the other acidophiles, are actually the ones that care. Uh, that's what it's just come down to in our case. And um, 
so we've had uh, uh, we've had we have a national collection of pitcher plants and other associates, and so we found we've got so many plants that well. We said, well, we might as well um, have a little nursery here to, to help us along. Well, that's been our godsend. That's providing the finances to support the efforts of the nonprofit. And the, our customer base, our clientele, um, are the, the growers of these plants. They care about them. They want to have them. And we've got a whole horticultural propagation program to uh, produce new um, quality uh, pitcher plants. Uh, we've got a genetic improvement program. We're looking at... Uh, the inheritance of a number of different traits so we can uh, create, if you will, designer pitcher plants and know how to keep doing it. One of the things that's been lacking in this field is an understanding of the genetics of the genus to consistently produce certain traits. And uh, that's something we're doing a lot of work on. And we've got uh, cultivars that nobody else has, a whole host of cultivars. So when you say designer, that's what you're talking about, the cultivars that you've developed or selected for certain qualities that are, I don't know, more vigorous or extra attractive to growers and gardeners? Well, even more than that, Ken, we're, with our understanding of how color and pattern are inherited, we can then uh, make a specific outcome. So it's not like we just do a cross and go, oh, look what happened here. Geez, that's neat. We can, by understanding how these traits are inherited, uh, we can actually produce an out, a predicted outcome that we know is going to be desirable. So that's a really neat position horticulturally to be in. Uh, when so you say, kind of, well, you're saying a predicted outcome, give me an example or two. Uh, well, that'd be proprietary. But, uh, no, no, so I mean just like yeah, uh, no, no, red uh, just or here's, something. Here's, here's an example. Um, mm -hmm. One thing we found uh, in our, if you will, market studies uh People are attracted to very red pitcher plants, mm -hmm. uh, as a rule. They like very, very red pitcher plants. Uh, but And we've done, we've done a lot of that. That pigment is called anthocyanin pigment, mm -hmm. and we've done uh, a lot of work on how that pigment's inherited and the biochemical pathways for it, too. So we can, we can produce offspring that will have, uh, at a predicted ratio, that, that very intense red pigment. Is anthocyanin associated with uh, cold? Hardiness. Well, there's a. It, it's a can be. Uh, there, there are a number of factors that will stimulate um, anthocyanin production, but you have to have the genetic predisposition to do it. And some plants don't, or they don't. They only produce it in a, a certain quantity, no matter what you do. Well, I'm asking about that for a couple of reasons, and one is I want to tell people that you will ship these plants. That these plants are available mail order, and I, I think it's. Terrific, the idea of your discount, <laughs> if you mm -hmm. could explain the discount. Well, and, and that, that, again, is developing the nonprofit. One of the questions that came up early was, how many members do you have, Phil? Oh, geez, let's see, 20. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I was like, okay, how do we deal with this? So uh, I said, okay, we'll give members 50% off. And that has just been a 50% off on the retail price of the plant. Right. So that has been a tremendous boom to uh, recruiting members, essentially. And it gives a good deal to our members. They right. can get, uh, I mean, that, that, it really is a very good deal on the price of the plants. Well, I, I'd like to ask you what a membership costs for a year. $25. Oh, it that's starts great. At 20, yeah, $25 and goes up from there. I mean, you can, but that, the basic membership rate is $25. Mm -hmm. Well, that, you'll, you'll make that up when you buy a couple of plants. <laughs> that's right. Well, generally about, if you, you think your break even, it's like 50 or $60. 
Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll, you'll recoup that cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you offer programs and lectures and tours and things like that? Yeah, we uh, we have uh, usually uh, in the spring we have uh, usually a guest speaker that we bring in. Uh, for example, this past spring we had Francois May uh, from Paris, France, who came out and talked about his work on Indo-Chinese Nepenthes. Right. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, we've had Stuart McPherson out, who's you may be familiar with him, who's written a whole series of books on carnivorous plants. So, t- so typically, though, uh, once a year we have a guest speaker come out. Uh, we do have, uh, every couple of years, we open up the Joseph Pines Preserve and do a guided tour there. Um, the preserves are open for uh, for viewing by appointment. We'll come out and meet you and give you a tour if you want, want to come out. And, of course, the research station in the uh, National Saracenia Collection, again, is open to view. Uh, just give us a holler. And on the website, you offer the plants, you show the plants that you sell and yes, uh, their characteristics, and people can purchase them from the website. And I, I think you should tell me what the website is at this yes, juncture. Uh, www.pitcherplant.org. Oh, well, very easy to remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pitcherplant.org. Uh, people may not recognize some of the names of the speakers, but those are superstars in the carnivorous plant world. And the Nepenthes, the tropical pitcher plants, sometimes people may have seen them. They're hanging with either small or sometimes gigantic pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what those things eat. I would imagine rodents. <laughs> I don't they know. They can in rare cases. That has happened. <laughs> but those are plants that we would grow indoors or in a greenhouse, and there's some hybrids that have appeared recently that are actually are pretty good houseplants, surprisingly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's been a whole uh, the whole hobby uh, since I got into this in the 70s has exploded into all the uh, different uh, genera. And, um, I mean, I remember Nepenthes when I was growing up, but it is, they found new, numerous new species have been found. There's been a whole uh, tremendous propagation effort in the genus and hybridization. So it's really a renaissance uh, for the tropical pitcher plants. It's surprising, and I guess maybe in a way it's not, but uh, we love our weird but lovable plants, but I do want to mention how beautiful not only the Nepenthes are, but of course our Saracenia, when I say our, I mean North American Saracenia, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, I guess east of the Mississippi, for the most part. Mm And uh, the the species that are in your area, uh, there's Flava, the the yellow one that grows pretty big, pretty tall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, is it Purpuria that you have down there, too? We have two species in Virginia, Ken. We have uh, Flava, which reached its northern limit in southeastern Virginia, just south of Petersburg. And then we have the purple pitcher plants here, say Purpuria. Uh, And that's confined to a fairly narrow belt going up the coastal plain. And these are plants that, uh, even though they're in Virginia, the ones that you sell, I would imagine, could be grown from northern Florida to Massachusetts. Oh yeah, yeah. We've got uh, members. Uh, we've got members around the world, but uh, we've had we have people ordering the plants. Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin, you probably get a little uh, dicey there, depending <laughs> on the species. But uh, then there's ways of dealing with that and mulching the plants in, et cetera. 
Well, I think that this is a, an interest that's growing. I know it is. And it's something for the future for gardeners to develop bogs. We didn't talk about what they what the needs of the plants are, but I'll put some things like that on the website. I want to thank mm -hmm. you so much for joining me today. I've been speaking with Dr. Philip M. Sheridan, the director and president of the Meadowview Biological Research Station in Woodford, Virginia, and you can check that out online. And you can even make an appointment to go and visit the facility and buy plants, which we always like to do that. Thank you again for joining me. Okay, Ken. Thank you. Great. You can see some plants uh, and the Meadowview Biological Research Station, pictures of it uh, on the website. And of course, we'll have a link to the Meadowview website at kendrews.com. And uh, also, we'll put a link to the Saracini article that I did for the New York Times and a few other things. I hope you do visit it. These plants are fascinating. It's great for kids because these plants eat bugs, but they're also beautiful. And growing them is one way to help encourage the preservation of these plants. Maybe not in their original habitat, but at least we'll have the some of the genetic material that we're in danger of losing. Joining me next week for another edition of Kendrew's Wild Earth, The Garden Show.